0: The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good, do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be-
1: And well, this is a, uh, a wonderful passage. Some of you know it quite well. Maybe even you have it memorized. And I was struck again how the songs that we sang this morning are really the, the sermon today, and they so express uh, what this passage says. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll walk through this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by it you would help us to once again Turn away from our sin to turn toward Jesus thank you that he cleanses us that he makes us white as snow we pray that by your spirit you would renew a right spirit within us as we hear from your word in Jesus name Amen in the 1990s there was a young girl who sold the most at the time the most Girl Scout cookies ever Uh, She actually sold over 11,000 boxes for $13,500 and she was interviewed by a number of different people and One of the interviewers said well, what was your secret? And she said well, first of all you have to look the customer in the eye And you have to make him feel guilty (laughs) Now given the um, youth of the church the children, you know um, a pretext or a motivation to come to the pastor for everything that they're selling. Um, guilt does not go away. And guilt has its place. We can't escape it. Uh, there was a historian, is a historian named William McRae, who wrote in an article t- uh, called The Strange Persistence of Guilt. The strange persistence of guilt. He observed that modern intellectuals like Friedrich Nietzsche, they predicted that as the West moved away from a belief in God, as the West became more secular and started to think that it didn't have accountability to a transcendent source, that guilt would also vanish with it, that guilt would go away. Sigmund Freud actually then said later that guilt is the greatest problem of modern civilization. The writer of that article, William McRae, wrote, this hasn't happened. Guilt hasn't disappeared. In fact, he said abandoning God hasn't erased guilt, but it has left us with no vocabulary to talk about it and no satisfying options for getting rid of it. It persists but David's ancient prayer is so incredibly relevant for us friends It gives us a vocabulary to talk about these inner realities as we deal with the Lord as he deals with us it tells us that God erases what is wrong as he makes us right and more than that it tells us then how to change and how to deal with with the patterns in our lives that vex us and that vex others in this passage the context is that david prayed this after he not when he fell into darkness but when he ran into darkness now many of you know the account that that's the background for this psalm, but let me give it to you briefly In 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we are told that David saw a woman named Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop, and he really had two impulses. The first was lust. I have to have that woman. And the second was power and an abuse of his position of authority. I will have that woman. And so she joined him in the palace and she became pregnant. That's the G-rated version. David had then this thorny problem with her upstanding husband, Uriah. He figured, well, I'll put it on Uriah. I'll have him come in from the battlefield, and everyone will just figure that it's his baby. But Uriah wanted to stay loyal to his men, and he stayed on the battlefield. So David decided that he would have Uriah killed. He was put on the front line, and he died in battle and so david married bathsheba now david ignored his conscience until nathan the prophet was sent to david to crack his concrete heart and he did so with a parable there was a rich man and a poor man in a village and the rich man had many flocks and herds but the poor man had only one little lamb That he actually esteemed as a pet it was almost like a child to him he loved this lamb and the rich man ended up stealing and killing the poor man's lamb for a meal and so David heard this parable this kind of indirect method that Nathan took and it brought down his defenses and David shot back and said This man must die because he had no pity. Well, then the prophet shot back at him and said, David, you are the man. And so the king was, as we used to say, he was hoisted up upon his own petard. The sentence of judgment that he delivered was put upon himself. And his conscience began to wake up. And the cement casing around his heart began to crack and he was filled not just with regret for the consequences, but with true remorse. He began to realize, I can't blame this on Bathsheba, on my mother, on a stressful work environment, on the, the hot weather in Israel, on not getting enough sleep, on the pressures of being a king. He realized, I am the man, and I repent sackcloth and ashes it's been said that life-giving repentance begins where where blame shifting ends life-giving change starts where self-pity stops and that's where David is and so Psalm 51 is David coming to grips with himself and with God again it's not simply regrets feeling bad about being caught which is so often the case you know in our world and in our lives right sometimes we feel bad that we've been caught or exposed this is not simply feeling sorry for oneself or about the consequences but rather it is a true repentance and repentance is a change of mind it is turning away from our sin with an abhorrence of our sin turning also then to christ And so fueled by God's mercy in Christ, it means that we we aim to follow God again with renewed obedience. Now I want to say that as we go through this, this passage, this message isn't meant to shame you. You know, some of you have a sensitive conscience, and perhaps people have used that sensitive conscience against you. Perhaps at times you've been guilt-tripped into not fulfilling the agenda of others. And dear friends, in most cases, that's not about you and God, but it's about them. And Psalm 51 isn't that. In fact, it frees us from manipulation. And what it does is it brings us to a place of appropriate conviction. It brings us to our knees, and it lifts us up and it liberates us because we don't have to pretend we can say with king david or to king david ah you too you too we understand this is for us it is a liturgy it is a prayer for the brokenhearted but also the healed and so as we walk through this we're going to look at the motivation for confession the cleansing of confession and the results confession first the motivation for confession look again at verse 1 David prays have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love the word for mercy is pity it is the forgiveness and the favor that we don't deserve it is not getting the judgment that we should have received And so David asked God to give him what notice he did not give to Bathsheba and Uriah. He did not show them mercy and steadfast love. And yet David appeals to God's unfailing covenant devotion that is infused with God's affection for us, for his people. It is God's loving commitment to us, even when we reject his ways, the love that does not fail, that we have sung about this morning. And so David confesses his guilt, and this is so important, not as an outsider, not as an unbeliever, but he confesses his guilt as one who has faith, but who forgot his faith. And friends, we are so often like that. He confesses as a beloved child of God who betrayed the love of God. Earlier in this series, through the Psalms, we looked at Psalm 63, where David prays. He says, I will praise you, O God, for your steadfast love, because your steadfast love is better than life itself. And for those momentary hours with Bathsheba and that time of temptation and giving in, something else and someone else captured David's heart and loyalty. So in those moments, he said, your loyal love is not better than life. I reject that notion. And so you see, at the base of our sin, what happens is we forget God's loving kindness. And we begin to believe that something or someone else is better than life, or rather better than God's love. And we can think about this in in terms of some of the struggles that we have with our attitudes. And it all refers to our relationship with God. And we'll see this throughout the psalm. Think of the issue of anger that we can't let go of. Anger is not trusting the justice of God that god is the one who ultimately has to make wrongs right think of the issue of lust it is saying no the pleasure of god is not what is most satisfying but something else is it all refers back to god nonetheless and because it is ultimately about god david appeals to the very compassion and the unfailing love that he abandoned. Notice that he doesn't start with his sin, but he starts with God's grace, and that has to be our motivator. Paul says in Romans 2.4 that it's the kindness, not the severity, not the strictness, not the harshness of God, but the tender kindness of God that leads us to repentance and change. And without that deep compassion, without God's heart to pardon and to favor his people, friends, we would be hopeless or we would be simply trying to change things externally or behaviorally. But David goes to the heart of the matter. He goes to his relationship with God. That is our motivation for change. We appeal to God's mercy and his loving kindness. And so now we look at the cleansing of confession the theme of cleansing throughout this passage is central in verse 2 it says wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin verse 7b wash me and I shall be whiter than snow verse 9 hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities in high school I had a, a nice dress shirt now I have two And um, I remember I was out and I got a really strong Chili stain on my nice dress shirt Um, Sriracha had just been invented (laughs) And I I took three different stain removers. I could not get the stain out of this shirt Well, you know how the story is going to go I think my mother was observing all this and she said here. Let me help you (laughs) so she took the shirt and the next day the stain was gone but the stripes the blue stripes were perfectly intact it actually wasn't this shirt (laughs) I said how did you do it and she said well I took a piece of cardboard and I cut it around where the stain was and I set it in the hot sun and see there the light removed the stain without destroying the fabric or the colors And that's what David is praying here. Charles Spurgeon said, God, if you do not blot out out our sins, you will blot out our names from your book of life. And so David is praying, erase my stains without erasing me. And he describes those stains with three words. He describes it as transgression, which is crossing the line as it were or going against what god has said he describes it as sin which is missing the mark or falling short he also says it's iniquity which is a kind of crookedness or distortion of our natures and so within david and also in us sometimes dark deeds and dark impulses form a kind of unholy union that prompts us to go against what god wants Now this is all kind of heavy stuff, but one comedian I think so rightly said, I've said it before and I'll say it again, humans are not good people. (laughs) And that's actually what Psalm 51 is saying. And yet the most heinous aspect of this entire confession, which David again brings us back to, is that it's a turning one's back on God. And so David prays against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And see, David here is not denying that he had harmed Bathsheba and Uriah. There are so many injustices in this passage. No, he's not saying that. What he is saying is that to break the tenth commandment, which forbids envy, To break the sixth commandment, which is against murder, to break the seventh against adultery, is again to break the first. You shall have no other gods before me. And so whereas early in 2 Samuel, when David was simply thinking about, you know, I'd been caught, and I want to cover my tracks, and sometimes we feel that way in life, God brought him to the place to say, God, how can I have treated you this way? And I think this is so pertinent to our culture. In our day, in our time, authenticity is the name of the game. Self-disclosure, being real. And David is those things here. But notice, he is real and he is raw, not to be true to himself, but he is real and raw because he has not been true to God and that is all the difference now we can read through this and I did again this week and thought you know David's downfall was dramatic was catastrophic it had national implications and we think you know I've never done this I never committed adultery I've never had someone killed I think most of us haven't misused our position of authority I'm sure you're nice bosses and managers and so forth but then friends we remember that Jesus said you have heard it said don't commit adultery but I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart it goes back to the root causes he also said you have heard it said you shall not murder but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. I've mentioned this before and it came back to me this week because I can relate to this. I've told you about a meme that's a cartoon that shows a giant two-volume book and it's entitled, Arguments I've Won in the Shower. (laughs) That speaks to what Jesus is saying and how the words of David apply to us. And it goes deeper. He says in verse 6 that you desire, you delight in truth and the inward person, and yet we're not always truthful inwardly. Just recently, I have been privy to a conversation about someone who did great work in the past, and that great work was called into question that perhaps the person's good deeds weren't entirely altruistic. And I wanted to say, don't we all have slightly mixed motives? (laughs) Even in the best things we do, isn't it, aren't they sometimes tainted with self? You know, wanting to appear uh, strong and successful and wanting to come across in the right way. You know, doing the right thing sometimes for our own gain. we all have mixed motives which is why Martin Luther, as he was reflecting on David's prayer, said, a Christian is always repenting, turning away from our ungodly and unChrist-like attitudes and turning toward Christ. Well, David knows that this was not a freak event, but rather basically an extreme expression of the root nature that was always there and think about your lives sometimes we do things and say things or we struggle with certain feelings or perspectives and i've done this in my 50s i think you know what i remember this in elementary school the same old struggle david was realistic and so he prayed in verse 5 behold I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is not to say that the gift of sexuality is sinful, not at all. Rather, it is saying that, again, as we look at even our precious and wonderful kids who are made in the image of God, as we look at ourselves when we were young, we know that we and they, this is just smaller versions of the same fallen human stock that we have when we're adults. I shared this a few times um, on christmas eve over the years and it it kept coming back to me this week and i think it really brings it home Um, it's called the property laws of a toddler and i think it expresses what david is saying here and it goes like this if i like it it's mine if it's in my hand it's mine if i can take it from you it's mine if i'm building something all the pieces are mine if you are playing with something and you put it down it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) It goes all the way back to the beginning. We know this, we know this. And so David, looking at his own life, at his own history, at his own human stock, that showed itself in this extreme way. He cried out, again, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And that's what we pray. He is literally saying, God, de-sin me. De-sin me. unsin me. Now he is drawing upon the imagery that God gave to the Israelites. The people of God used hyssop branches and they would dip them into the blood that God told them to paint over the doorposts in Egypt so that they would be covered from the judgment of God that had come upon or would come upon their persecutors. Hyssop branches were used in ceremonial cleansing in Leviticus, where the articles of worship were to be cleansed by the blood. And this was all pointing forward to the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9 says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so our sin is purged by being paid for by the giving of a life, an innocent life, for our guilty lives. And so we pray, forgive me and regard me as cleansed because of the innocent substitute who lovingly died in my place. It is what Pastor James Boyce called the merit of the Lamb. David was looking by faith, looking forward to the merit of the Lamb. And so we own our sins. We confess it. We tell God that we're sorry for our lust, for our our procrastination, for our inattention to him and his word, for our frustrations and anger, for our excessive worry, not trusting him, for the things that we have done and haven't done, for the things that we have said and have not said, we cry out to him and say, purge me, and he does and he will. We appeal to God's generous love and his grace, and we appeal again to his mercy. You know the word mercy means not only pity, but it means compassion, it means feeling in the heart, in the bowels, like the father who turned toward and ran toward his prodigal son who came home, who ran home. The father had great compassion in his bowels. And that's how God feels about us. And Psalm 51 talks about the just judgments of God. Well, God was just just when he rendered judgment when he put that on jesus and when jesus who knew no sin became sin for us he was cast away from god's presence for david for you and for me the father turned his face away from his son when his son hung there on the cross with our sins upon him And consequently, that means the Father turns toward us who have become the righteousness of God in Christ. The southern novelist Walker Percy said, he said, we love those who know the worst of us and don't turn their face away. We love those who know the worst of us And don't turn their faces away don't you love God he does not turn his face away from you don't you love him for this I know a Christian who has been encouraged and challenged by the phrase don't assume rejection and we can apply that to other human beings but what this passage is saying to us is don't assume the rejection of god he accepts you in christ this is his loving kindness his unfailing love his devotion to you his mercy his warm compassion that he has shown you in christ don't assume rejection i do sometimes and so do you and so that keeps us away but this says come because he already loves you because he will make you white as snow again and so we close briefly here with the results of confession let's note here what david asks that would be restored he said it's not his salvation but he prays that it would be the joy of the lord's salvation and what he's admitting here is that when we sin We grab a hold of this sort of temporary happiness, and yet we know deep down that in the long run it makes us miserable, it robs us of our happiness. David knew that, he confessed it. And so we praise in verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. You know there are times that we feel sin in the heaviness of our bodies we we feel it on our spirits and so we pray not only forgive me but God restore the joy of your salvation even as we believe that he's going to do that to get in touch with this feeling with this sense think of a time when you've been elated when God has pardoned your sin or, or perhaps lifted a A burden in your life or a debt was paid for or or a relationship restored or a pain in your body was removed some of you know about this Um, a number of years ago I had a a lower back injury I tweaked my back one summer and I went through the summer and I've had back issues off and on over the years Um, we begin to over the years (laughs) and uh, but this one was persistent. I went to the doctor, I did all the stretching, you know, the heating pads, the, it, nothing was working. And it, it was pretty bad. And one night toward the end of the summer, I started to realize that my body just felt dislocated. It was very strange, it felt out of joint. And I remembered I began to lean against the sink, and I thought, this, I'm crooked, this isn't right. So um, I had never done this before, but I took my belt line, and I grabbed a hold of my pants as hard as I could, and I yanked. And I felt a deep pop, and I stood there, (laughs) like, what have I done? And I realized um, the pain is subsiding. And I went to the store with with a sense of caution and um, some tentativeness, but I thought, you know, could it be? I walked around, and I thought, the pain is gone. That is the only time I've ever played chiropractor. I've never done it again, it worked once. But that makes me think of this passage. That what David is saying, what we are saying as we pray is Lord lift this pain, lift this burden and restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then we begin to say, can it be? Has God really done this? Yes, he has. Dear brothers and sisters, I want us to know that as we come to the Lord, he does not remove his Holy Spirit from us. David prayed that God would not. In fact, it's the Spirit who brings all of these realities home. As we sang in Amazing Grace, it is the Spirit who brings us home again. And so may the Holy Spirit make us deeply glad and profoundly joyful. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would work this this truth into our lives, that we would see Christ predicted in this whole psalm, That we would know that you have washed our sins away. That we would know that it it is his blood that David was longing for. We thank you for the gift of confession, for the gift of your mercy, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the gift of renewal. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.